One fall day in the seventh grade, I came home from school to an empty house, but it was full of mysterious noises. After searching all over the house, I found in the kitchen sink a newly hatched baby duck. This was shocking to me. Now, it wasn't shocking in the sense that I didn't know where it came from. I knew exactly where it came from. It came from the egg incubator three feet away. No, it was shocking because I was in charge of this incubator, turning the eggs, manipulating the temperature. If you don't do those things, the eggs won't hatch. And despite what I'd been telling everyone, I had not done a good job of managing this incubator. So I was shocked that an egg hatched at all. And I scooped this little duckling out of the sink. He was making quite a racket, so I thought he must be in full health. Except for one of his little feet seemed to be broken or, or maybe malformed. So we called the vet and they said that this was normal and just to rub it gently for about a half an hour and it would take shape. So I did. And at the end of that half an hour, this little baby duck had imprinted on his little baby duck brain that I was his mother. And so for the next several months, he would follow me all over the house. Whatever the obstacle, wherever I would go, he would waddle along right behind me. Whenever I would sit still, he would nestle up real close right beside me. Each day I'd return from school and I'd sit down on my couch to do homework or watch TV and he'd climb up right here on my neck and take a nap. Or else I would make my arm into kind of a wing and he would nestle up right in the crook of my arm, comfortable and safe and secure under the wing of his gentle and caring parent, seventh grade me. At night, he'd sleep in a cardboard box next to my bed and then he'd follow me throughout my morning routine. But interestingly, when I would leave for school, he would sit in his little box almost all day, perfectly still and perfectly quiet. And one day my mom remarked, you are this duck's whole life. He's focused only on you. You see, this duck had organized his entire existence, his entire life around me, his mother. And whether we know it or not, that is the nature of life. We all organize our lives around something, a person, a value, a goal, an object, one particular thing that is most important to us. The Bible has a word for when we organize our lives around something. It's the word worship. Whatever we organize our lives around, that's what we worship, even if we don't use that word. One of my favorite authors, David Foster Wallace, we named our dog Wallace after him. He wasn't a follower of Jesus, but he wrote insightfully about faith. In his remarkable book, This Is Water, he said this about being human. Here's something that's weird, but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now remember, he wasn't a person of faith. Now that quote gets really heavy in the next few lines, but we're gonna save those for later. For now, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. We're launching a new series today. And as you know, this year, 2020 is nuts. In fact, one person on the internet suggested that 2020 is the next great expletive. In 100 years, we will be saying things like, what a load of 2020. Or maybe, why does it smell like 2020 in here? This is a tumultuous time for our church. It's a tumultuous time for our society. And for a lot of people, it's just a tumultuous time in their personal lives. And this series is going to frame everything that we do this year as a church, as individuals, everyone in this great big mess. We, the church. As a church, 
What matters most to us? What do we value? What do we worship? Who are we? In the midst of this mess of a tumultuous year, the answer is simple. We're a Jesus church. We are the ones who have organized our lives around Jesus. We follow him, whatever the obstacle, wherever he goes, we waddle along right behind him. That's us. And in this series, We the Church, we're gonna take a look at the three ways that people exist in the world. For each person, you exist in three dimensions, three aspects of life. Your impact on the world, we call this the outward dimension of life. Your relationships, we call this the inward dimension of life. But it starts right here with what we call the upward dimension. What do you value most in life? What do you organize your life around? What do you worship? That's the upward dimension. Up, in, and out. Who you are as a person, who we are as a church. We the church. Today we're talking about this upward dimension, organizing our lives around Jesus, valuing him above all else. And along the way, I wanna outline some really practical steps, things you can start doing today to organize your life in deep and new ways around Jesus. Now, maybe a friend or family member forwarded you the link to this service and you're wondering what you've gotten yourself into, or maybe you've been attending church since before you were hatched. I wanna encourage everyone of all walks of life to take one of these practical steps today. Now I'm proposing that following Jesus is a lot like following that, that duck following me, but also our spiritual lives are a lot like these redwoods behind me. Maybe you're already a towering spiritual giant or maybe you're a bit closer to the ground or maybe your faith feels a bit like the size of this redwood tree seed. Can you believe that a redwood tree would grow from this seed? but it didn't happen all in one day. They grow bit by bit. Grow a bit today. Take one of these practical steps I'll mention in a moment. We, the church, we're the ones who've said that we will follow Jesus no matter the obstacle, wherever he goes, we will waddle along right behind him. We have organized our lives around him. And the Bible invites us in all kinds of places and in all kinds of ways, it just repeats over and over again, this invitation to organize our lives around Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12:1. Or Jesus himself said, abide in me as I abide in you, John 15, 2. And elsewhere, Jesus said simply, follow me, Matthew 16, 24. Or set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth, Colossians 2. The loudest and clearest message of the Bible is this, organize your life around Jesus. Follow him, whatever the obstacle, wherever he goes, ye little ducklings. And this invites a ton of questions. So let's talk about some of those. Now you might be asking, who is this Jesus? Before his birth, his mother Mary is instructed by God to name him Jesus. Now the name Jesus can be translated, he will save his people from their sins. She's also instructed to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is God with us who's gonna save us from our sins. The book of John puts it more poetically. The promises of God became human and dwelt among us. The Bible's answer to this question, who is Jesus, is on the one hand simple and on the other hand, pretty incredible. Who is Jesus? 
He is God who became a human being and then was crucified by an empire who later was resurrected by the power of God and is now present with us in power and in truth. And that his resurrection was the start of God fixing the whole world in large part through the church that he created to do good in his name. And that one day this Jesus will wipe away every tear and renew all things. That's who Jesus is. And if you're saying to yourself, I find some of that hard to believe. Well, you're in good company. Doubt is a pretty normal reaction to that message. The book of Matthew records that after Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to his disciples and when they saw him, they worshiped. That means they began to organize their lives around him in new and deeper ways, but some doubted. And the book of John records this. Now Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the, others disciples, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe. And then real graciously and real kindly, Jesus shows up just for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach your hand out and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. And in just this same way, Jesus wants to be real gracious and real kind to you and me. You see, in the process of learning to organize our lives around Jesus, everyone has doubts. And just like Thomas, Jesus wants to meet you in those doubts. Even our doubts can be organized around Jesus. Our doubts can be made to worship him. Now, even the most secular anti-faith historians concede that the evidence around Jesus is clear and consistent. Something was happening to these early disciples. And Christian historians make the argument that the best and only explanation of the historical evidence available to us is that Jesus was in fact who he said he was and was indeed resurrected by God. How else could a small band of nobodies impact the Roman Empire and eventually spread to every nation and language 2,000 years later? There's good evidence to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And besides, if the disciples made the whole thing up, they might have cast themselves in a better light. So there's at least good enough evidence for us to feel pretty comfortable with it. We, the church, believe that Jesus was resurrected and is now alive. But this story about Thomas shows us the real way to develop a deep enough belief in Jesus for us to start organizing our lives around him. And that is to ask Jesus. The only real way to learn how to trust Jesus is this. We must interact with him. Those early disciples who doubted Jesus moved past their doubt through ongoing interaction with the living, resurrected Jesus. Here is the disciples' recipe for faith, repeated encounters with the resurrected Christ. So maybe a place for us to start today is to simply ask Jesus. And this is the first practical step to organizing your life around Jesus. You start to talk with him. Maybe you might say, Jesus, I'm thinking through what it might mean to organize my life around you but I'm having trouble believing, would you speak to me? It took the first disciples constant interaction with Jesus to believe in him. 
Following Jesus means organizing our lives around constant interaction with him. That little baby duck arranged his life around constant interaction with me. And I wanna invite you to arrange your schedule towards constant interaction with Jesus. Now you might be thinking, sure, I'd like to arrange my schedule towards interaction with Jesus, but what specifically might I do? I wanna offer you three concrete ways to organize your life around Jesus because that's what the church does. We waddle along right behind this Jesus. The first concrete way is joining a weekly church gathering like this one. For the rest of the fall, I want you to commit right now to joining the virtual church every week. Now I've had two equal but opposite reactions during shelter in place. Some Sundays I turn on online church and I am immediately moved to tears, why? Well, I am an overwhelmed parent of two small kids and shelter in place is really hard. I need Jesus more than I ever have before. And singing in my living room, knowing that you're singing in your living room connects me more deeply to Jesus. Other Sundays, I plan to join in and then suddenly at 6 p.m. and the day is almost over. Why? Because I am an overwhelmed parent of two small kids and shelter in place is hard. Now, the strange thing about church gatherings is that Jesus promised to be especially present wherever his followers are gathered. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So prioritizing even virtual church attendance is a powerful, a way, a powerful way to arrange your schedule towards constant interaction with Jesus. That's where Jesus is, so that's where we need to be. The next concrete way is a daily appointment with Jesus. If we, the church, are the ones who organized our lives around Jesus, aiming for constant interaction with him, a daily practice is an absolute must. In the seventh grade, the year of the duck, I somehow got the picture at church that I was supposed to read the Bible every day. So I made a plan that at the beginning of that school year, I'd wake up 15 minutes early every single day and read my Bible. And I did it. I started at Genesis, and at the time, I understood nothing. But the practice stayed with me, and I'm so glad that it did. Few things have helped me with constant interaction with Jesus, like regular Bible reading. I really recommend it, but maybe it's not your thing. In the chat room today, we're providing a kind of inventory to help you select from a list of spiritual practices that will help you interact with Jesus. Take a next step and commit to one of those from the list. Now, a third way to organize your life around Jesus is to organize your work around Jesus. I know of a parole officer who does just this. Now, I don't know her in a professional sense, but she goes to my friend's church. She's a 60-year-old living in Denver, Colorado, and she's approaching retirement. And for her whole career, every parolee that she meets, she starts their conversation with her hands framed just like this. She says it is a way to remember that Jesus loves the person in front of her. It's a prayer for Jesus to help her see this person just the way that Jesus sees them. So every meeting with every parolee also becomes for her a meeting with Jesus. How might you arrange your work, whatever it is, around interaction with Jesus? Weekly, once a day, and at your work. Concrete ways to be with Jesus. Now, another question that you might be thinking. If I do all of these concrete steps, what do I get? It's a fair question. The Bible says that the fruit of spending more time with Jesus is a massive change in character. The characteristics that God wants to produce in you and I are as follows. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, 
kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is God's great hope for your life, whoever you are, that you grow into a person defined by love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible calls these the fruits of the Spirit. They are the character of Jesus. This is what He is like. And as we spend more time with Jesus, we slowly but surely, bit by bit, become more like Him. So the Bible constantly says things like, tear off your old self, that is your old character, how you were originally, and put on the new self, this list of Jesus-centered character traits. Maybe a next step for you today is to memorize this list of the fruits of the Spirit. Another question you might be thinking, if love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are what I get, well, what does it cost me? And the truth is, it's gonna cost you everything. Here's the second part of that David Foster Wallace quote. Remember, he isn't a man of faith of any way. He said this, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice that we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some type of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they grieve you. Everybody worships something. And often the things we choose to worship eat us alive. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that is why we, the church, organize our entire lives around Jesus. We've come to see that anything else we worship will just eat us alive. So to organize our lives around Jesus means that we must relegate everything, everything else in our life to secondary importance behind him. And when we get it in the right order, Jesus first and then marriage and then kids and work and friendship, all of those things are greatly improved. I am a far better husband, dad, coworker, and friend when I am living out of my new Christ-centered self. And now I'd like to tell you a story of what this upward dimension looks like up close in real shelter-in-place life. In March, Katie, my wife and I, had a test for COVID-19 and it came back positive. Katie and the kids had mild symptoms, but my symptoms were a lot worse. And there were three days where I was really suffering, especially at night, I just really couldn't breathe. And on that first night, I was in pretty bad shape, physically, of course, but also I was in bad shape spiritually. And sometimes we all go through that. But I was up in the middle of the night and I was working hard for every breath and I was thinking, God, how could you let this happen to me? Do you really care about me? Do you really love me? Are you even there? And I felt like my faith in this Jesus that we're talking about, who I know and love was giving way. The next morning I felt ashamed that my faith had faltered. And I prayed, Jesus, I'm sorry that I was not able to trust you last night. Help me to trust you with this today. And I had such low energy that day that I sat down in this one chair in my living room nearly the whole day. And to be honest, I was pretty scared. And I thought, if this is the worst day, I'll be fine. But if this is only the beginning, then I'm in trouble. And my daughter, Margot, 
She was about to turn five at the time. She saw that I was suffering and she brought me this stuffed animal, Pinky Pig. And she said, dad, hold on to this while you sleep and you can think of me and not be scared. And I sat in this one chair in my living room, so moved by the kindness of my child. And I thought about how much I love my kids and how grateful I am even to know them. And I thought about my son, Frankie, who's two. And if something happened to me, who would guide him through life? And as I sat in this one chair in my living room, I wrote out 14 things that I wanted him to know about life and being a human being and being kind no matter what. And that night, I held on to Pinky Pig. And unlike the night before, when my faith had faltered, that night I prayed Psalm 23, one line with each breath. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I kept praying all the way through the line, even though I walk through death's shadow, I will fear no evil all the way to the end. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So I prayed through that Psalm until I fell asleep. And I did that every night for a few weeks. There's nothing that Jesus can't handle. And as I fell asleep each night, I knew that because of Jesus, I was comfortable and safe and secure under the wing of my gentle and caring heavenly parent. And I couldn't help but think of this passage. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield. Jesus was teaching me to organize even my case of coronavirus around him. Even as sick as I was, I was learning to waddle closely behind him. Maybe you've never told Jesus that you want to follow him. Or maybe it's not a sentiment that you've expressed in a long time. And it feels like maybe that's something that you need to say again. I want to invite you right now to put Jesus in charge of things. I want to give you a few moments now to ask Jesus for help to make him the central thing in your life. In your own words, in your own way, tell Jesus that you want his help, that you want to organize your life around him. If you're asking Jesus for help for the very first time, we'd love to partner with you on your journey to support you in whatever way we can. Hit the button in the chat room and let's waddle together. But for now, let's take a moment to talk with Jesus. Jesus, we offer you all the dimensions, all the mess of our lives. We ask you to help us to organize all of these things around you. Teach us to follow you, Jesus. Whatever obstacle, wherever you might go, teach us to waddle behind you. Today, we say that we want to follow you, Jesus. Teach us what that means. Give us the strength to do it and help us to define our lives by your character, Jesus. We put our lives in your hands. Amen.